This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're fortunate to have Jason Jarvis. He's the founder and CEO of Jarvis Labs. It was formed as a technology incubator and development company around real-world customer base and Jason's existing clients. Jarvis Labs was founded with the intentions of bringing new technology to market with a focus in cybersecurity and cloud computing, as well as other technology, science, and engineering fields. With decades of direct experience in implementing and securing online systems, as well as a focus on enterprise networking, architecture, and needs, Jarvis Labs has been able to design, engineer, and support a wide array of information technology solutions. Jarvis Labs runs and maintains private and secure cloud networks and mission-critical systems. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob, thanks for having me on. If you guys hear a little background noise or a little bit of wind in the background, we're on the, I think, 10th floor, downtown Boulder on a glorious Colorado day. And as Colorado typically does, we've got a bit of a breeze going on. So hopefully not too, too, too daunting. Well, Jason, tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. Jarvis Labs was founded, oh, I guess we're at six, six years ago and was more or less kind of a uh, just a, an accumulation of, of lifelong work and uh, specifically in the IT industry, uh, you know, around cloud services. And, and we formed it with the intentions of really kind of getting to the next level in cloud and, and the cyber spectrum of, of opportunity. Um, you know, we've we've developed some some cloud technologies and built our own infrastructure. Uh, a lot of it, we've kind of been working on the intellectual property side of things to make sure we're uh, protected. But the mainly enterprise computing, bringing uh, enterprise level of of support and services to small and medium businesses to startups. Um, We've helped companies go from zero to all the way, as far as I'm concerned. So if I'm a, um, a potential, you know, I'm listening to the podcast mm-hmm. and I'm going, you know what, I might need some of what Jason has to offer as far as services and skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going like, well, what do I call and ask him about? So when you walk us through a time when you were working with a startup or, or an early stage company and kind of the things that you did for them? So a lot of times startups have trouble uh, getting to the next level or leveraging that next piece of technology that they need in order to to thrive or in order to make a manufacturing process work or, or, or whatever it is. And Jarvis Labs is just... Uh, you know, with, with our repertoire and experience implementing technology in a wide variety of places, we're usually able to find that missing piece or we're able to develop that missing piece that startups are, are looking for. You know, you, you'll have a, a startup will come to you and say they need a website. Well, they don't really need a website. They need a, a, an interactive platform or they need, uh, you know, they need to secure their system because they've been, their system is going up and down or subject to hacking or, or, you know, unstable for whatever reason. Well, maybe what we could do is let's circle back around and let's talk a little bit about kind of how you got into this side of the house. 
you know, tell us about your first job and kind of how you got started. I always credit my grandfather for getting me into computers. Uh, I am in no way a pioneer in the computing industry. We're, we're uh, you know, how many years have we had computing since before I was born or, and, and whatnot? But my grandfather was an old uh, Air Force electronics technician, and then he ended up being a, an IT guru, an IT head of his oil field company back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, he always made sure I had a computer to work on and some connections to work with. And I can remember he'd be at work and I'd be in his home office kind of uh, exploring the corporate network, so to speak. Uh, you know, this was in the 80s. Your modems were, a, you'd take a phone handset and set it on top of the you know, set it on top of the modem block. And of course we had that, set them on top of the modem blocks and we would just dial things, try to get into things. A, co a cousin of mine who's actually in the industry still as well, he and I used to just, we used to figure a lot of things out in my grandpa's office. My first real job in the industry was actually taking computers apart and cleaning them. So. Uh, nowadays, computers are pretty much, you know, a keyboard is $12. A, you know, you don't necessarily fix them. But in the 80s and 90s, you actually, keyboards were, were just as an example, keyboards were a pretty expensive item. And so we'd take items in off of these pallets, take them apart, clean them, and then move them on to the tech benches. And so my first job was literally physically cleaning computers. And uh, it was just right after my freshman year at A&M and this kind of company had moved into town and I was the first of six people hired. They ended up over two years growing to 2,000 people. And to my knowledge, they're still there, still in College Station today, and probably still have the same uh, department taking apart computers and cleaning them, you know, and moving them up to the, to the rest of the the company, you know, it, it was good to have kind of a, a formal, uh, I guess, formal training and experience of actually doing that. Uh, before long, you know, I move up to different benches and, and excelled in, in different ways. And of course, in the 90s, I actually went and did all my certifications. I did the, uh, back then, the, the Microsoft Engineering, the Cisco CNAs, the Novell networking, and then finally, my last actual, you know, certification was a security one, which is a top CISSP, um, which kind of, I guess, helped formalize my security expertise and whatnot, and is really, you know, all that was kind of a stepping stone for me being able to take on a wide variety of uh, you know, a wide variety of things. I started an IT company. I've started a few different companies. The first one that I actually helped start was in 2001. So now we're in 17, that's 16 years ago. And um, I've always been available. I, I maybe, uh, some ways to my detriment, but I've always been available to, to certain people. Um, I guess I've always been kind of a helper and uh, I, I run a help desk still uh, 
tickets are probably coming in right now. My mom even has contacted me through the help desk when she wasn't able to find me. <laughs> um, you know, there's a business idea for the moms that can't keep, keep track of their sons, have a help desk to track down their sons. Now, exactly. there, there's a thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guys at the help desk give me a hard time about it, but you know, I, that's what it's there for. Use it. Create, create a ticket. Call your mom. Okay. So, you know, as, as, you know, some of the folks are listening and, you know, and you think about the influences early in life, you know, so you started out messing around with dial up, right? And, and then at some point the entrepreneurial bug struck. What does that moment look like for you? When did you, you know that you were going to go out and start your own business? Um, you know, I, I'd have to tell you that, that where I'm at now or in the entrepreneurial lifestyle wasn't exactly what I had planned for. I, I uh, always imagined just having a long career and then retiring and being a high school coach or something. That, that's really what, uh, what I uh, envisioned. Uh, it was kind of just, uh, you know, you get to a crossroads where the last job I interviewed for might have been in 2006. And the guy, uh, he says, well, why do you want to work here? You have so much experience. You know, I've done certain things. And so you get to the point where you more or less have to be a contractor or you have to be a consultant to, to work with an organization because you're not a hireable employee at a, at, a, at a certain level, especially for smaller companies or startups that really just, just uh, I guess, don't have enough to to entertain you or keep you busy, you know? Uh, so the, the shove off moment for me really was just, uh, I needed to make some money mm -hmm. and, uh, that's a pretty good motivator. Yeah. And, uh, uh I've always, I, I sent my first invoice as a 16 year old. So I've always kind of had that um, business sense or the, the, the concept of you do work for money, uh, you get paid for the work you do. And, and uh, my first invoice as a 16-year-old was to a feed store in my hometown for fixing a printer and upgrading some RAM, you know, something simple. But I uh, kind of, even though I I'd had a few jobs here and there, I kind of always always was available as a consultant or a computer fixer, you know, kind of guy. Um, Did that follow you into when you went into college? Were you still doing that in college? Yeah, still doing that. Uh, definitely, I guess my, my formal paycheck wasn't always my main source of income. Um, I've just been lucky to have... Uh, met a lot of people to, you know, we, around that time as a kid, I can remember building computers for the company. My first job actually was for Meyer Farms, which is a, they were next door neighbor to us growing up. And um, according to my social security statements, I started around nine years old, which is when <laughs> I started getting paychecks from them. But I can remember, uh, went off to college and I can remember their office person calling me at the time and uh, wanting me to come in and help them fix their computers again. So I came down from AM. Turns out I've rebuilt all their computers. Uh, you know, we used to go get parts off the truck uh, at a place in Houston. 
on Saturdays, a truck would show up and we'd go get the computer parts we'd need and just build boxes. And it's kind of, I know it's 20 plus, 20 some odd years later now, but a lot of it's still the same and a lot of it's different. The industry, uh, in a certain sense, there are certain principles of computing and networking that, that, that are kind of just embedded. You know, you got your OSI model for, for how computers talk to one another and how the network works work and all. Um, but now there, you know, there's voice activation. There's, there's, you know, almost when you do a Google search, Google knows the next word you're going to type. And so it starts enumerating. And it's just there's this huge data-driven process and, and intensive evolution. You know, now we're at a, at a point where things aren't just a, a green screen on black. You know, it's, it's full color. And if you don't have 2 million colors or Ultra 4K, then, you know, you need to get updated. But, you know, I, I think as we look at the evolution of your business and how many employees do you have in Jarvis Labs now? We're, we keep a small, tight group, plus we have some contractors and engaged folks whenever we need to, but our, our core is around 10 people, mm -hmm. plus or minus. Um, some people I've been working with for 10 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, you know, we are recruiting. We are recruiting. If you do check out the website, we are recruiting. Uh, and we're not recruiting for anything specific, but we're always recruiting for the right, the just somebody that would fit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you look at the culture of a company and, and you're responding and you have your help desk side of the house uh, and doing a little bit of homework before we chatted, I noticed that you also have started heading toward the artificial intelligence side of the house. Um, Take us through that thought process on how the evolution went from as a kid cleaning and building boxes and cleaning uh, keyboards to the point where you are now heading toward artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence uh, to me, in my mind, is, is, is just computer assisted. A human is, com is assisted by a computer or a, a program or a device. So... One of the simplest forms of artificial intelligence that I like to use as an example is a stoplight system. So you've got an intersection, multiple lanes, turning signals, maybe some, some crosswalk features of an intersection. But what it is, is a sensory, sens sensing inputs, okay? It's totally automated, a, a traffic intersection, but yet it, it assists human in a, in a big way. It keeps wrecks from happening. It uh, keeps the flow of traffic working, and, and uh, we, we probably couldn't live without stoplights and intersections. I mean, it's sure we could build turnstiles and, and maybe rearrange the traffic grid, but, you know, all the way to the more advanced side of things, you've got something like Watson, you know, you've got this, you know, people envision artificial intelligence as having a voice, having a, you know, fully... Uh, being fully interactive and conversational with a computer system. Well, as time progresses, it takes computing power, it takes hardware, it takes software, it takes networking, it takes all of that assimilated in order to build an intelligent system that, that either your business can use, that uh, the local governments can use to, to help 
manage assets or whatever. Um, so in a, in a lot of ways, when you power a computer on, even even these are artificially intelligent in some way. You know, they they send you alerts, send you reminders. Yeah, the cell phones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in my career, I've been lucky enough to help build some fast computers. Some fast computers. I remember in 1998, I was working with a box builder, and we built computers for a for a 911 dispatch center. And uh, you know, some of the tricks we learned back then about how to you know how to build and optimize these systems. I can remember we built these systems. Everything ran out of a RAM drive. Okay, when you when you get your computer, you know it's got your hard drive. All your programs are running from from your hard drive, and and the the concept I can remember just being burned in about a RAM drive. We're running everything out of active fast memory, and so you know fast forward to now, uh, especially with our hyper expanse technology. That's one of the rock silo uh, offerings. We're able to. We're just able to bundle more computing power, more processing, more memory, more hard drive space. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's well, exciting. I tell you what, for the folks, and you know, and, and I did a little homework. We talked about Rock Silo a little bit before we started the podcast. Let's dig into Rock Silo and let's talk about what it does and and who that particular company serves. So, Rock Silo is is primarily. Uh, it's our company that we can move hardware with, uh, branded, supported hardware. Um, we use AI with the Rock Silo offering, for instance, with our spam and antivirus mm-hmm. firewalls. So Rock Silo builds um, appliances. We build appliances that you can plug into your network and it provides a specific service. So one of those is, is spam control. So um, you know, I call it an artificial intelligence engine because it takes, you know, some thousand or so different rules, computing rules, and makes a decision over whether or not to deliver that email, whether or not to hold that email until, you know, maybe we get some updated signatures from the rest of the world or whatnot. Um, we're also on, under the Rock Silo offering. We we're just building big computers. We're building big, fast computers. Some of them that can plug in to, you know, right now Microsoft has certain offerings where you can run virtual machines for say engineering applications. Let's say, you know, uh, if you're running a CAD workstation, you have your workstation, you've got your video cards, you've got your whatever it takes to make that 3D model look good. Well, under the under a rock silo offering through a virtual workstation, you you actually have more power. It, it's it's your you can do in 15 minutes on an engineering simulation what used to take two weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you punch a button and you're using the computing power to to do this work. I think 3D modeling, you know, especially now, I guess. Uh, one application I could see using a, a rock silo cloud for, we haven't quite done this yet, but uh, cars that are driving themselves, mm-hmm. cars have sensors. So we have two sensors and, and two ears, two eyes, two ears. We will eventually, we will get to the point where a car is safer with its own sensors than ours. Mm-hmm. It can react faster. 
uh, can react reliably. And if a if if a automated car has hundreds of sensors to our two, right? Well, it takes processing power for that to happen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in a sense that that could be considered an artificial intelligence uh, type application. Uh, your car, for instance, knowing which way to get you somewhere, knowing to stop if it sees a kid on a bicycle crossing the street. Um, we will get to a point where the roads are safer because of this. Um, I can see, you know, there's several companies getting into the into that realm, and I can see, um, you know, as, as more... You know, say we've got more UAVs in the skies. I know we're looking at the drones that people are, are driving. You know, used to, if, if I ever had a, a remote control plane, I wrecked it the first, mm-hmm. you know, the first time I took it out. Well, now they drive themselves and they drive them from this thing. Mm-hmm. You punch a button, it levels it. You punch a button and it follows the next drone in front of it. Uh, this is all real world applications. I... I could justify as saying that that's all artificial intelligence, right? It's not necessarily just you know an, an, an interactive waitress that's a robot. Or, or well, there's a there's a big move, as I understand it, from this type of application into the agricultural space, where they'll fly a crop stand and they'll go, "You're short of chemicals here, and you're drought, definitely drought, it's called precision agriculture." Mm-hmm. Turns out it's it's it is the answer. You know, we, in the past 20 or 30 years, I think we've doubled crop production per acre. And I think we're expecting over the next 10 years to double it again and not only double it, but do it more efficiently. So tractors know which part of the field to drive on, know which part to spray and how much to spray. Um, everything is a step. So we're still using the knowledge and the know-how we had from 10 years ago, but we're compiling it. So as we go, it, it all gets smarter. It all gets smarter or it all crashes. I mean, hopefully it won't crash, but it all gets <laughs> we'll, smarter. We'll learn from that. That's called tuition, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as we talk about, you know, rock silo and we talk about Jarvis Labs and, and some of the applications that you have, and it's basically, as I understand it, problem solving with, with computer assist and maybe some pattern recognition. But I also noticed that on your site, you went into the physics space on your website pretty heavily. And before we go too far into the interview, if folks want to reach out to you, how do they find you on social media? The easiest way to find me is Jason at JarvisLabs.com. Any social media site, Jason at JarvisLabs.com. Super. Uh, key that in and you'll find me. Okay. So uh, you can also reach us through the normal website. We are, I am on Facebook. Uh, I, I just got onto social media a year ago. I kind of um, maybe was a little shy. Reluctant. Uh, maybe uh, had jobs that wouldn't let me talk about them sometimes. I, I don't know. I just, uh, I'm on social media now and I'm there to meet people. That's how I met Bob actually through a LinkedIn. So uh, I think on the LinkedIn, it's linkedin.com slash Jarvis Labs might be uh, the direct link. But you can always find me, Jason, at JarvisLabs.com. Okay. You know, and, and I think about one of the comments where you said, I work for people and I really can't talk about the project. Can you characterize a project that they said, we have this particular problem and we've engaged you 
to take and solve this problem. Can you talk about the, the tools or types of things you brought to the table to help solve that particular problem? What, and what I'm thinking about is let's say that we have a business owner and he said, you know, I have a particular problem and we're trying to enter the conversation in his mind and go, you know, these are the things that we bring to the table to solve the businessman's problem. So on the government contracting side, you're required to have an IT infrastructure. You're required to have authentications in place. You're required to have sometimes your own email server. Um, Jarvis Labs can just kind of step in and help meet certain requirements to get you in the room. Okay, so so for somebody that's ch- wanting to take an enter the government contracting space, you can solve some of the IT requirements for government contracting. Definitely. Okay. And t- so let, let's say I'm that company. All right, I'm going, you know, I, I want to take and bid on some government contracts, but I don't check that box for the government. What's the conversation like between me as that business owner and you? I just call you up and says, can you fix this problem? And then what's the time frame typically? You know it really depends. Uh, a lot of times the, the business owner or the key people behind it will, will kind of lay out their vision or their strategic plan. You know, I had one customer tell me by year five, we want to have this many people, this much square footage, and these are the types of, of work we're going after. And um, I just, you know, I, I kind of in a way try to, uh, on the IT side of things, try to mesh with their business in a way to make that happen and then help them plan for that outlay and help them, um, you know, I, I don't know what percentage of IT projects actually don't get off the ground and maybe close, close to around 50% is just sitting idle, not being used. What we do is, is, is make it happen. Okay. We make it happen. So you execute, we execute it. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways we're, uh, we're just there. We're just there when they need us. So a lot of times, you know, the, the, the problem might not even be related to me, but I'll have some input for them, like their coffee machine or their, you know. Um, a lot of times when we, we've got some We have some trash flying. flying around with us here. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the upper deck, so it is. The wind is picking up, oddly enough, in Colorado midday. How about that? <laughs> yeah. A lot of times when you set up an IT system, you there's no end in sight. You're setting it up with the intentions of it running for as long as possible, running forever. I was doing some contracts down in New Mexico. They call me every eight years or so to rebuild something that I've built for them in the past. Turns out they're still running the old ones. There's some of them now been running for 17 years, 15 years. These you know, sure, you build things redundantly, two, three power supplies, multiple drives, all, all these things. Um, but you also, you know, you want to set them in place that, that they can run, just run. I know I used, to, I, I used to actually work at Texas A&M. I was a systems analyst there uh, when I was in school there. And uh, I had a buddy call me in about 2008, which is many years after I left. And he says, hey, you know that web server you built back in, you know, whenever for International Programs Office or whoever it was? I was like, uh, yeah. He says, it got hacked. I'm like, you're still running it? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody still knows? <laughs> yeah. Really? 
It was an old hacker, right? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I think about um, the the use of you know, the computing power, and then, you know, I can remember the first computer I had was an Apple IIe, and I had the computer, but I had no need for it, so I didn't know what to do with it. So, but I had one, you know. And I think about the business owner that's out there and they're undertaking particular projects. In, in referencing back to the folks that are doing 3D modeling on CAD programs and the ability to use uh, the silo product that you were talking about, um, have what's the typical commentary that you hear from those types of engineering folks when they switch from com- doing most of that mechanical stuff in their local server to when they go to the cloud? What do they typically say? They're sold on it before we even turn them on. I can do five or 10 minute demo, illustrates things they do every day and how much quicker it is. Um, once they're turned on, they just use it and they want more. It's, it's like an appetite that grows, mm-hmm. especially if your business, if you're a, a heavy CAD modeling business, you can take on more business. The more you can do, the more you can take on. And so the appetite for it grows. It, it's like, you know, if you're into hot rods, it's, you know, your hot rod can never be fast enough. You know, if you're into hot rod computers, it can never be fast enough. I, you know, I hate waiting. I had to wait for something to boot up last night. It just grates me that I had to wait, you know. It's an inefficient use of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, in in looking at some of the discussions that we had prior to getting on the podcast, you were mentioning um, Mars and Company. And we were going to dive into what Mars and Company is and your interest in Mars and Company. So... I have a history of working with with uh, certain NASA uh, projects, you know, way back, uh, oh, I might have been 13 years old and went to a, a NASA space camp. I'm from the Houston area, so NASA was always, um, you know, just this, this, this amazing thing to me, big rockets, big uh, telescopes and facilities and um, so Mars and Company is, is more or less Jarvis Labs' initiative to help accelerate the space race. So we're at 50 or so years of being in space. We have officially six or eight people orbiting the Earth right now. 50 years from now, that's going to exponential increase. We're going to have, what, you know, what the first 50 years of space is, it's a stepping stone and, it, and it's in the direction of it, but the, the, uh, the ability to get up into space is, is, you know, it's, it's like back of the hand. Now we've got private companies that can launch things into space. Um, you know, I, I think what we'll find is, you know, our next generation, especially of, of these new NASA rockets and, uh, transporters that are made to carry people, I think we're going to find that all of a sudden it's comfortable. It's comfortable to go to space, you know. There's, we got to solve some things, you know. We definitely need to simulate gravity, and you can do that in lots of different ways. You can do that with thrust, which I outline in some of my physics papers. You can do that with geometric circling. But the making space comfortable so that I would actually want to go to Mars you know, we're, we're on the edge of actually being able to do that. And then also cutting down transit times. Because if it takes six months to get to Mars, obviously you got to have more food, you got to have more supplies, you got to have more energy. Well, imagine if we could get there in 
21 days. Imagine if we could get there in four days. Imagine if we could get there in 24 hours. Uh, it actually makes it more feasible. Well, imagine sitting cramped on an airplane flying to New York City in three hours. We don't like that now. We don't like that either. No. <laughs> so it's going to have to be a better experience than the airline experience for sure. Yeah. And we're on the cusp of, of breakthroughs. We're on the cusp of, you know, I maybe mentioned to you earlier that we've been operating on physics assumptions that are 400 years old. Uh, some of them a hundred years old, and you know the truth is it's it's not uh, in the physics world. It's not one thing equals another thing. That's not absolute. What it is is one thing equals another thing, plus or minus twenty percent, plus or minus seven percent, depending on the the actual formula that's being used. Um, I think now we're at the point where we can actually engineer around the laws of physics in in ways that we never thought was possible. Uh, we're, you know, one simple thing is, uh, you know, on our current space station, we're able to grow plants now. This is something that, you know, um, everybody thought was impossible or, or, or whatnot. We're actually able to grow crops in space. And we're gonna find that certain crops may actually grow better in space. We might find, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a gaseous mixture of, of of some fungus or, or something that actually grows enough to feed people in space. Or, or you know, we can harvest medicines from it. I mean, it's, it's so endless where it can go. There's, um, there's enough billionaires behind it now that it's, you know, NASA will always be a leader, you know, may always have the, the rocket that can go rescue something or, or whatnot. But there's billionaires involved now and there's, um, there's a private propensity to actually go to space. There's, you know, sure, space tourism, there's, there's those types of things, but, you know, they're, they're, uh, one of the Mars and Company mottos is there's more out there because there's more out there. There's, we've been finding water in places that we've never found water before. There's asteroids the size of Texas that are water, you know? What, what can that do for us here? I don't know. Maybe we can help solve some of our environmental issues, but I think it will help us lay our infrastructure out further, you know? Um, we're gonna take care of the earth for as long as we can. And, you know, I don't know, colonizing Mars, it, it'll be a fuel stop maybe for me. I don't know that it's the, um, you know, it's not the end all, I'd rather, I'd rather make it to the moons of Jupiter, you know. Uh, there's a lot going on in Jupiter. Uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up with it, but we've got exciting news about Jupiter all the time. We have probes there. There's exciting news about Saturn and planetary uh, formations. And we're finding uh, we can see further faster than we thought we could is what, you know, is what we're finding. Everything uh, is a stepping stone, and not only that, but it's, it's kind of an exponential increase in opportunity. You know, as you, you were mentioning that you thought the population in orbit around the Earth would increase through the next number of years. What do you think the, the chief outcome of having more humans orbiting the planet will be? More science, okay. more actual application, more harnessing of potential. I think, you know, I could foresee... Uh, an orbiting international university, for instance, you know, something that 
that actually, you know, our, our space cadets can, can go through a real program where you, they actually go to space before they're an astronaut. You know, now to be an astronaut, years and years and years and years and years of, of, of whatnot, well, it'll be feasible enough that you're not a true astronaut until you've spent 100 hours in space. Mm-hmm. You know, I, just progress. Progress is the outcome, you know? You know, I, I think about as you've, you know, if we've talked a bit about, you know, the various computer applications and the numbers of businesses that you've started, you know, and along the, the road of starting businesses and operating businesses, there's usually a bump or two in the road. Take us to one of those moments where you had a bump in the road, what it looked like and what you did. That's like asking someone to explain their weaknesses. <laughs> uh, I'm too nice. That's my weakness. Um, you know, I, the economy, uh, the economic crash of 2008, was was probably the roughest time in my business. Uh, I had a bunch of startups at the time that, and and even existing normal customers that were getting months behind on paying. So cash flow. Cash flow. Um, I know, in the two thousand eight time frame, I had just startup customers of mine just fall off, fall off, you know, um, just. You know, cash flow and and being um, making it through that. I think I learned a lot. Yeah, what, you know, and we all think back and go, you know, I don't want to do that again, or I'll never do that again. And we usually try to take and put some kind of appliance in or some strategy or process to make sure that doesn't happen again. What's the chief difference in your business between now and then as a result of what happened in OA? Uh, I guess I've got more diversity now more diversity for sure. Uh, there's no one thing that can knock me off. So diversified revenue stream. Diversified revenue. Um, you know, the other thing is, is if, if you're going to take on a customer, especially a startup, then you have to ensure that they can weather it mm-hmm. as well. So maybe helping the, the startups with, with a better resistance to downturn or... Um, Usually when you go through a period of time like that is I generally refer to that as tuition. Yeah. Yeah. It's the price you paid for the education. School of hard knocks. Yeah. Those are usually the lessons that seem to endure, you know, and you know, I, I, as I think back over our conversation, as we kind of head toward the close, you mentioned the influence of your grandfather. What do you think the, you know, for you looking back, who do you think was the most influential person and what did they bring to the table for you in the way of advice? I have had a lot of influential people. One guy that I can think of right now who was really influential to me was Ray Bowen. He was the president of A&M back in the late 90s or so. I had an office up on the president's floor at the, at the university. You know, I don't know that he ever gave me specific advice, but just watching how he operated and how he led the organization just... Uh, you know, one of the nicest, soft-spoken guys, but yet he was in charge, you know. Uh, and then after that, I actually, um, I got to meet Bob Gates, who's now, or was, CI director, was defense, uh, Department of Defense head and all that. Again, never any specific advice, but just being around him helped me learn how to be there, how to be in the room, how to, uh, you know, uh, he used to tell stories at the coffee pot and, um I just, you know, as far as influencing me or the way I think about things or the way I, you know, push my, my 
leadership or, or recitations with people. I just, I think of those guys off the top of my head. Um, you know, obviously my grandfathers, both grandfathers were very influential in my life. My dad, of course, uh, influential. He was an entrepreneur, truck driver, uh, ran his own business for a long time. You know, it'd be nice if, you know, people say you learn from your mistakes or you pay tuition by certain things, as, as you mentioned. It'd be nice if I had more inputs. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I even though I've, I've been accused of being the kind of closet hacker nerd guy or whatever, I, I actually like people. Uh, I thrive on interactions with people, taking people to lunch. Uh, I've, I've actually, you know, some of the guys that have worked for me have actually influenced the way mm-hmm. I do things. I, you know, I hired an intern right here from CU who still works for me today, maybe seven years ago. And, um, you know, here I was hiring him as an intern, but I think I probably learned more from him. And even some of the rock silo stuff we're doing today is his work, his actual hands, you know. You know, it's, it's interesting. We think back over time and, you know, you, you look for the influences in your life and you go, well, in, I think in the technology space, if you're not a lifetime learner, then you're going to get run over sooner than later. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, given all your experience and, and your outlook, um, to wrap this up, what would be perhaps a piece of parting guidance or advice that you might offer to folks that are listening that either would uh, potentially consider reaching out to you about what you offer or some of the wisdom that you've picked up through the years in running your company and others? I would have to say, receive all inputs. Pretty simple, receive all inputs. Anybody can contact uh, me or, or leverage the services that my company or companies has to offer. I would say if, if you're a, a startup and you're hung up on something or, or you've, you've just maybe uh, just have, have a obstacle, then reach out to us. You know, we'd love to help however we can. Um, if your company has a high technology need, uh, definitely you're a potential fit to work with us. Uh, if you need a cyber assessment, uh, if you need cyber protection, if you need cyber appliances, if you need someone that knows how to configure your firewall, you know, contact us. You know, business goes in, in so many directions. I, I think it's just, it's important to receive all inputs. All right. You know? Well, that's a fair piece of advice. <laughs> well, Jason, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a great day to be outside in Colorado. And, uh, With that, I think we'll wind it up. All right. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Jason.